punch. It's all in the mind. It's all in the mind. It's all in the mind. Good evening and hello and welcome to tonight's broadcast. We are here to finish the unfinished business. There's nothing worse than when you start covering a show and then you just don't do the last season, the probably the most important season. Um, and it's been so long since I revisited that season. It's been a few months now. We can't go. We're not going to go thing by thing. It's just too difficult. So this is going to be more of a of an overview. Um, very soon, I'm going to be revealing the 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 winners of the T-shirt giveaway. Okay, maybe that'll be its own dedicated thing. Um, also, just a heads up: John Christ interview that is coming. We have even more Patreon content coming. Keep your eyes peeled next Monday for the next installment of the secret show that we're currently doing. Um, and lastly, uh, October brings with it the beginning of 31 days of Halloween. We're going to do our 31 days of Halloween kickoff show. I didn't think I was going to be doing 31 days of Halloween again on YouTube because it's such a, a daunting amount of work. Uh, it's a real commitment, but I'm, I'm just weighing it out and thinking, how can I stop now? We have 60 reviews on the channel alone. Like, how cool would it be to have a minimum of 93 by the, t by the end of October? So hopefully that'll all go according to plan. So keep your eyes peeled for the kickoff show. That's probably going to be at the end of September. So September is all about not watching horror movies. It's about watching just TV and things wrapping up stuff like the Sopranos and coming back to discuss this final season is my very spicy friend um, who you may remember from season five. He is back to help me um, to, uh, to deliberate on the conclusion of the uh, Soprano saga. Uh, without further ado, here is uh, spicy. Hey. Ooh. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for joining me tonight. Good. And you? <laughs> yeah, good. good. I am good. good. Pupsy. Pupsy. Good. good. And you? Yeah. Right. Pupsy. So, so having me on your show. Happy to be here. So of course. Here. It's been a little while since we did uh, season five. Now we just got to nail you down to do the rest of Family Matters, which will be its own... That's going to take forever, but you know, I'm, I'm waiting for the reboot. I'm waiting for them to reboot it so that we can get some hype behind it and uh, then maybe get some more viewership. But, you know, to be honest with you, I'm still kind of astounded at the viewership numbers we were getting uh, kind of nuts um, for what the, the amount of views that we were getting uh, both on Facebook and on YouTube for our very sort of uh, impromptu. And I mean, I was on a 2012. Uh, That's right. Pad X1 Carbon with like, you know, really awful quality and stuff. We had a lot of views. Listen, it'll be. But now, but that was when that was when things were so minuscule. It's going to be even bigger now. You have to watch it. Come on. Watch season. What, what did you finish? Where did you leave off the uh, season? I want to say we did season three two. episodes. We did a. Yeah. Part A, part A of we season one season into <coughs> halves. And we yeah. did a total of three halves. 
We made it halfway into second season. So come on, let's yet. finish it up. We got to get to Bruce Lee oh, Urkel. There are so many better shows, though. Like, what I was, do you mean? Do you want to see Carl's Bad? Well, actually, Steel? you know, you're right. I, I, <coughs> I can't do Boy Meets World because. Oh, actually, I would love to do Boy Meets World. Yeah, I but would, we can't because they already did a podcast. Because they're doing one. Um, I think family. Yeah, but I want to just okay. How about this? Can we talk about just that that little sliver of Boy Meets World when when Harley comes on the show and it's all about baboon and everything? That's what I would want to talk about. Oh, season two, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the that's the shit right there. You know that show used to get me feeling all types of uh, like somewhere like like Bubbly? if this if this side of the spectrum right if this is horny. And this is and this is emotional. Yeah, like somewhat like hormonal, hormonal, like, hormonal. Yeah. Like it, it, I'm not. Don't get me wrong. The show didn't make me horny, right? But something about the age I was, I was probably like 11. Topanga made you horny. Well, she still does, but that's not the point. The point is, I never was into Topanga. I did yeah. not. I didn't never. I just right on my. Just not yeah. like that. Uh, it it was. It was just something about. I know what it was about. It's not, what? I, not for YouTube con- consumption, but I know what it was. I think it was <laughs> something about this, like uh, being a tween, right? Like being like 11, 12 years old and like having feelings for girls. Yeah. And then, like exploring that and like seeing Corey and Topanga sort of explore that on TV made me feel like I could identify with it. And it just like got me feeling some type of way. There were three. There were three types of episodes, and then I'm going to digress because I really want to jump into this. There were yes. three types of Boy Meets World episodes. There was, there was Corey loves Topanga episodes. There was Sean Hunter Corey. I'm not like you. I'm trailer trash episodes. And then there was always like Eric is progressively getting stupider episodes. Those were like the, Oh, that was just, that was just peppered in Eric. That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't the focus, but really the focus was Sean saying, I'm not like you. I'm trailer trash. Corey, leave me alone. They didn't have, they didn't have space for um, Eric. Yeah. An actual character. Right. They made him just this comic relief until later on when they had him and uh, you know, Matthew. Sean's yeah. Sean had an older brother. They added that. Just that came was out the core four. Yeah, it was great. All right. Okay, so, so th- where where do things okay? So, real quick, just to paint a picture of where we left off in season five. Um, what's her face is dead. Uh friggin' Adriana has died, um, which sends Chris into like, you know, a secret spiral, you know, of heartbreak. Um, what's the other big thing that happens at the end of season five? Oh, Tony. Tony gets whacked. Tony kills Tony. Tony kills Tony, which is huge. No, nobody was hoping, expecting he's that. He's hoping that that will kind of... I mean, he knows that's not what they want, right? He knows that what they want is they to want... Torture him. They want to torture him. Yeah. And Tony thinks, you know, listen, if I just do it myself, there's nothing they can really do about it. It's too late. They won't be able to torture him. And, uh, you know, they, they either have to... They'll accept it because they have to, because what's the option? You know, right. the other option. And now, but and then the other Phil thing too like is, and Phil's now, not, you know. Right, right, right. And what's interesting is um, Tony's death, Tony Tony B's death is a, I mean, listen, we're not, there's no bearing the lead, there's no spoilers. Chris dies in this season. Tony's death foreshadows 
Christopher's death in the sense of you would never think that Tony in a million years could kill his cousin, Tony B. And yet here he is um, pragmatic. Hold on. Pragmatically. He is pragmatic. He's, he's doing what is pragmatically necessary. And now here he is doing the same with Chris. Now, Chris has come close to brushes with death in the past, even at the hands of Tony, because everybody thought that Tony was, you know, copping domes from Adriana and Chris went crazy and Tony put a gun in Chris's face. So it's like there was a little bit of precedent, but ultimately you never, I, you never, nobody thought when Christopher died, that was a shock. That was just, that was just absolutely a, appalling. Well, you know, <clears throat> well, here's a man who just likes to get right into it. Yes. <laughs> Um, all right, you want to go right? Well, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. All right, all right, all right. We'll we'll pull back a little bit. We'll start with this. How about this? One of Tony's guys wants out of the uh, wants out of the crew. Oh, Eugene Pontecorvo. I love that you know that name. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is a tough episode to watch, man. And you know he is getting, you know, from what I understand, he's someone who grew up with Tony, who's known Tony a long time, and um, he gets this opportunity to sort of leave it all behind. And he's got like, he gets, I mean, he inherits millions of dollars. Yeah. And uh, he has opportunity to like, sort of walk away from it all. And I mean, really it's his wife pushing it on him. You know sure. what I mean? Sure. Uh, I'm sure he also wants it, but he's getting a lot of flack from his wife. And uh, I mean, you know, I think this goes to illustrate like, that's just, I mean, Tony really is kind of thinking about it. Yeah. Right. And so Eugene kind of like, does some stuff. I think he he uh, does a hit or something like that. He's doing. Well, they, like, he's buying Tony a Rolex. He's doing whatever he can, he's trying to appease and and everywhere Silvio's going. Hey, talk to Tony. Talk to Tony. Yeah. Well, he he wants to do it, uh, and Tony I think wants to do it. And there's something that happens in that episode. I don't remember. Well, what here's the other thing that's Tony kind of pulls an audible at the end and decides that he's not going to. But here's he doesn't even have the guts to really tell Eugene that, that right. he's very he, he has still do it. He has still right. just be like, Yeah, about that thing, it's not gonna happen. He's sort of like down. No yeah, he does yeah. no go. And but here's what's interesting like with very little fanfare that he breaks the news to him. And I think I forget what it is, but Tony just like sort of decides, eh, fuck it. Um, I feel like there's something that happens to Tony in that episode where he, he's really gonna do it, and then something happens and just decides. I don't really fucking care that much. Well, here's you know, what's I, interesting. Yeah. Here's what's interesting. And and what does it say? It's kind of interesting how this is the beginning of the final season two. It's the, it's the notion that like this life that they live, like it's like you you're in until you die. Mm -hmm. And the goal of the life is that you get to live good. Like you live good while you're doing now, what happens when suddenly you, uh, an element, an outside element, i.e. a large inheritance gets introduced into the mix. And suddenly you don't need to go on collections or whack people or do whatever it is that you do in order to live that life. And you want out. Yeah. And it's amazing how the only way out for this guy was to unalive himself, in his mind at least. 
Yeah. You know, he couldn't, there was no in, in between. He couldn't find a way to just live his life as a mob guy. You know, it was like, I have to find another way out. With yeah. Him. And he kind of like uh, speaks too soon, you know, like he tells his wife that it's kind of a done deal. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And, you know, he's just caught in between kind of a rock and a hard place. And uh, he takes what he thinks is the easy way out, you know. Um, you know, there's so much going on in season six. Yeah. Um, Junior you know, shoots Tony. Yeah. Now. Because he's going senile. He's going senile. Um, he's got. Uh, I mean, that's it, right? Because he already, like, had that episode right where he wandered off and he's like oh i yeah. want to talk to damiano it's slowly been That's it's slowly been developing season, right? it's been developing yeah, so it's been developing and there's the whole thing where you know he has the outburst about oh he never had the makings of a varsity athlete and tony thinks right. it's kind of bs and stuff and it really kind of comes to a head where and, and you you could see it in, in the episode even before he like shoots him and stuff like uh junior is just very sort of agitated a, a great Great acting by uh, the marvelous uh, Dominic Kianese. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, but he really plays the uh, dementia role very convincingly. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much of the it's – a, it's a thing that Chris does too. Um, like these things like, you know, drug addiction or, um, you know, being senile – or like these things that are usually done in a very sort of caricatured way in uh, TV and film, yeah. they have this ability to have such great nuance and such great realism. And I think that's one of the things that sets apart. And and it's it's the actors as well as you know the directors that I think really sets this series apart. I mean, I, I'm so convincing uh, that he is. You know, he's got that that short temper that is sort of characteristic of uh, people with Alzheimer's. And, uh, you know, he just comes out out of the blue and then and shoots him. And Tony's like trying to get the phone and he pulls it down. I mean, such great performance uh, from from both of them uh, in that scene. And then we get the whole weird Kevin Finnerty thing. Well, now here's the weird thing. Here's the other interesting thing too. Generally, when someone is is murdered on a show or shot or harmed in some way where they're near death but they don't die, it's a form of inoculation. You, if you're good, if you almost die, if you almost die, then typically you're not going to die later on. It's not. Oh, it's not a. It's not a hard hard lined rule. Okay, so. You're talking about um, Jon Snow getting stabbed and then brought back to life. So you know he's not going to die in the Battle of the Bastards because he just got brought back to life two, two episodes ago. Right. It's it, it generally almost death brings about plot armor. It doesn't always happen, but it, it mm -hmm. brings plot armor. So Tony and, and, and what's interesting in The Sopranos is, and I guess we'll have to either get to it at some point or, you know, sooner than later, we could even address it right now. You know, ultimately, I how you how one deter, uh, determines the the uh, what happens at the end of the series. You know, uh, it doesn't seem to be the case. Tony almost dies at the beginning, and 
in my opinion, he most certainly dies at the end. So I think that there is a very convincing argument that he does at the end, like very convincing. However, it's not an out and out thing that you see with your own eyes, which leads to conjecture and people talking about it still to this day, debating it one way or the other, which is a lot better then there's no body, no death. That's the that's the other rule of thumb. If you don't see somebody die, then they didn't actually die. However, however, no, I don't know if that's true. That is that is so true. And there's only one exception, and that's Stannis Baratheon, because we see him die off screen. I don't subscribe to that. I don't even know what happens with Stannis in the show. What are you talking about? <clears throat> I don't know, man. He's still alive in the books and he's in very, very different circumstances. He's marching on Winterfell. All right. Yeah, but in the in the show, I don't in know the what show, happens in the show. All right, I'm telling you what happens in the show. He fucking he he gets defeated and Brianna Tarth Who defeats goes, him? Uh the friggin' uh Jon Snow defeats him. Stannis? Wait, hold on. I got my shit all wrong. Wait a minute. Who def- oh, oh, okay. Now I remember. Stannis marches with Jon Snow actually. It's Stannis okay. and Jon Snow versus um the uh, uh Bolton. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the 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 crazy bastard Bolton. And they they they're fighting the battle of the bastards and in the woods Brienne of Tarth uh confronts Stannis. Oh. She, remember she yeah. she she was Renly's knight. Yes. So she's like, you murdered your brother. She's part of Renly's Rainbow Guard. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And was in love with him for showing kindness to her when everyone else. Right. Was, uh, yeah. So <laughs> when, by the way, if you are enjoying this episode, please leave me your skull. I want your skull. Leave a skull in the live chat. Leave a skull during the replay of the broadcast. I need all the skulls so that I could hang them on my wall. So bring us your bones. Yeah. Bring us your bones. Yes, or dead body bones as well. Bring us your bones. Bring us your bones, dead body bones. So, but the point being with with Stannis is that you don't see, you see Stannis die off screen. It's a rarity. Everybody, if you die, if if you're meant to die in a show, it has to be seen. If we don't see it, and you did not really die. That is always, always, always the case. That's the rule of that's a rule of, of all moviedom and TV dom. Uh, this is a this is an exception to that rule. And I would say that the Sopranos is the ultimate exception to that rule because the foreshadowing that happens that there's a foreshadowing when he's in the boat with Bobby and he says, You never you don't even hear it when you get whacked, it just everything goes black. That is informing the audience, that is a setup to pay off the end of the show and it's yeah there's that there's that and there's also that whole scene that's a smoking gun to me yeah there's also a scene where you have uh i forget who it is man uh sill is at a sit down or or at a dinner with a bunch of new york guys when one of them gets whacked and what happens with the camera is like you don't even oh yeah right it sprays on homo and it sprays at him yeah and it's really interesting scene i remember the first time i rewatched and i saw that i was like what the hell is happening here I don't that's at the you know that's that's in the in the final war okay right that's uh no no it wouldn't be because if it was in the final war they would have been going after still also um it's it's in season six it is definitely in season six which is part of that build up 
for the payoff that you're talking about also. I mean, listen, I can't really give, it's hard for me to give an original argument on this because I've like read so much conjecture on it. And I, I really buy into the theory that there is a certain sequence of shots of framing and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of ad-libbing right now. Right. Um, where at that last scene, it's like you get, you know, seven seconds of this person's uh, point of view, then seven seconds of Meadow, then sec- seven seconds from Tony's eyes, then seven seconds of, you know, this angle. And it rotates in a way that is predictable and formulaic and which leads to, you know, the seven seconds that ought to be from Tony's perspective being that blacked out time. Right. So if you watch it like it is, uh, you know, if you look at it like that, then he's dead right now. Do I buy that? I do. But I also really like the fact that, and this is sort of, I've heard, you know, Steve Sharippa and uh, Michael Imperioli talk about this. And this is, I, I don't remember what Michael really says, but Steve says, um, in talking Sopranos that, you know, you start this show, right. And we get to see, you know, life through his eyes for a certain amount of time. And then it just cuts away. And we don't know what happens after that. We were, that's just the end of our window into his experience. And you know what? I like that too. I think it's too, I think that's too much of a cop out. Well, the thing is, here's the thing that what's, what's cool about it is that I don't have to, by either one of them 100% because he doesn't lay it out for you. Well, you know, but here's the thing. What, I mean? Steve says, what Steve says, what Steve just said about the, the slice of life and that you're yeah. in and you're out, it's st- the him dying at the end still applies to that. It might. It and plugs it, it, in. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because all in that last episode, um, you know, his lawyer is telling him that uh, because of who was it? Who? Um, not Gigi, uh, Carlo, Carlo's testimony. Carlo was a rat and, and yeah, so he died. Uh, he had a heart attack in the yeah. car. Mm. He just died in the car. Who did Carlo? Carlo did. He was a rat. Yeah. 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 The guy with the glasses. No, 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 no. That's Ray. Oh, okay. That's I don't Ray remember Curdo. Carlo. Ray Curdo died, but he gave a ton of information. Carlo is someone who, uh, was one of Tony's captains. And then when everyone is like, you know, going to the mattresses and Bobby is getting killed and all that stuff, uh, Carlo sort of disappears and no one's heard from him and no one knows what's up. And then in the end, you find out that he like was, I think, arrested and he is like talking and so Tony, like a 90% chance that Tony's getting indicted anyway. I was about to say, Tony is almost irrelevant. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, his his time is his time is up but i would say the most important part of the season is you know and again like it's weird season six is weird because so much happens and yet almost like nothing happens all at the same time uh-huh. it's like such an amorphous season um you know uh what's what oh crap what was i just talking about we were talking about uh how much and how little happens and oh oh how oh what i was gonna say is that, you know, generally what, you know, when you're watching a narrative, like with a character, the character grows or changes or evolves in some way. Good storytelling yeah. well, has, yeah. has, has the change. Of, right. 
good well, storytelling has 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 characters change and and where's and my heart, Ollie? Yeah, the whole thing, you know, you you know, Christopher has that whole scene where he's talking to Polly in the first season. He's all depressed and he's saying, you know, he's trying to take the screenwriting courses and he's saying, you know, characters start here, then something happens. And then something happened. Where's my arc, Polly? You remember that? Yeah, so well, it's, it's interesting that you're saying that because it's something that's kind of meta to the show. Well, it's meta for both. But here's what's interesting for both Chris and Tony. Ultimately, neither one of them change, really. Like all, Yeah. But, well, Chris gets worse. He gets worse. I, I than think so was. does Tony. I think Tony gets way worse. Yeah, but Tony, but when I say worse, well, if you want to say in the sense that like he stops trying, ultimately the show ends in, in another way that the show ends, besides Tony getting whacked or whatever you want to call it, is that the, the, the byline of the whole show, the hook of the show initially is mobster, a mob guy seeing a therapist trying to be progressive and evolve and this, that, and the other. Mm. And, and in the second to last episode... Melfi is confronted with the sobering truth that Tony is a sociopath who will never, ever, ever find treatment in her, in with what she does. And she she's embarrassed at first. She's at dinner with her fellow therapists. They bring up a study that she wasn't even aware of. She the study the Yochelson study, right? Then she actually reads the study. And she finally comes to grip. She says to him, she says, this is it. We're done. And they've been done many times before on both sides. I don't think I can help you. They're like, I cannot help you. But she and, does the, the professional thing and, and tries to refer to him right. to a behaviorist. You know? Right. But the point is, is that, that what it's also saying is the show has to end because Tony's never going to get better. No. This is who he is. And it's just going to be more of the same. He never I've wants also to get better. Yeah, but David stop passing out. David Chase said so. I, Jack, our, my friend, you know Jack. Yes. Jack said that David. He loves the Sopranos. He said something along the lines that, like David Chase said uh, once said in, uh, in some interview or something about how the 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 cutting to black is actually us, the viewer, and we needed to be whacked so that we would stop watching and encouraging the 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 violence and the 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 you know the show and everything blah 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 that sort of thing and what's interesting is that this all of this coincides tony's never going to get better tony's never going to evolve it's just going to be more of the same there's no point in us watching anymore yeah well and you know it's that's an interesting take and you know tony is like getting worse and he is really bad like but you know what makes us forget sometimes how bad he is? Is when you put him up next to Phil, who is just like a mean, Phil, ugly, well, kind of person. Phil, I mean, Richie, Ralphie. Look at the, the difference in between the, the way the two of them handled the whole veto situation. You know, like Tony knows what he should do to posture himself as an alpha and as an old school mobster and all that. And he knows that he needs to whack him, but like, he doesn't really care. He doesn't really care that. No, he doesn't. Okay. And Vito's a great earner. And he kind of wants to look the other way. If Tony had the op the choice, he would look the other way, man. He did have the choice. And he chose okay. to, to uh, he chose and said to sort of like, uh, 
uh, allow Phil to do what he does. Yeah, I don't think he extent. did allow it. I think he was pissed that Phil did that. He I think was Phil- he was pissed, but he did not do enough to stop it. He could have done more, and he just uh, sort of he just sort of is like you know he's fighting for it, but not he's not putting up much of a fuss. Which brings yeah. us to Vito and Johnny Cakes, the, the greatest romance there ever was. My literally my favorite part of all of the Sopranos is the beautiful romance between Johnny Cakes and Vito. And ultimately, I I had forgotten, you know, it's Vito who does himself Mm -hmm. in. He kind of breaks off scot-free, at least for a time being. He could have, he could have, potentially started a whole new life out there yeah but you know even though he walked out on his kids but you know whatever like you know could have started not- a whole new life out there but the thing is it, and it's funny because uh you know his his boyfriend or whatever is like oh yeah you're, cake. he's like you're a construction guy like i can get you i can get you a gig you know doing you know doing some stuff and i mean we saw in season five the kind of construction that Vito does he sits right. on the site eats donuts cracks jokes and blows security guards you know what i'm saying like that's that's (laughs) what a life (laughs) crazy white boy says from baltimore crazy white boy from baltimore mentions that picnic they had yes Vito cooks for him and he's like and and for a main course pork chop and vinegar peppers this little little move i don't know but by yes i know i know the move but by far the best the best the best the best is I mean, I could almost commission someone to to do a painting of of Vito being spooned by Johnny Cakes in bed, in the warm, comfortable bed, just like having a really nice time, really nice conversation, and then just going off to sleep. And I just thought, my God, what a slice of heaven for for Vito to be with his Johnny Cakes. And it just all got he he messed it all up. He ruined he the has, good thing. The thing is, I mean, and here's something that I I, I relate to so much is like, all right. He's got to have this job, right? He's out there and he's working and it's got that, uh, that inner monologue or dialogue, right, which is so brilliant. It's an inner monologue. Like, okay. Yeah. Could be 10, 15. Got to be right. 10, 15 by now. Mm-hmm. Another hour. This will happen. And I'm waiting I mean, for lunch. Things where, you know, you, you, you say, don't look, don't look at the clock yet. That'll only right. make it worse. I've so done that. I've done oh, that. Oh, we all, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and it's very a, relatable, very relatable. It's a known fact that clocks slow down when you look at them. You know, and that's a quantum. That's a quantum fact, actually. Yeah, and if I want my job or whatever I'm doing, class I'm in or whatever, if I want it to take longer, then I know what to do. Is look at the clock, and you know he tries to not do it, and he's like, "All right, by now it's got to be 11. And he looks, and it's like way earlier than he thought. And it's like that's the moment. That's the moment where he's like, "Fuck this! Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna go." He's like, "I can't do." He's like, "I cannot live this way." And you know what? Honestly. That's a whole sticky situation. And you know what else is sticky? Riot Stickers, the official sponsor of the From His Channel. That's right. Riot Stickers has you covered when it comes to stickers. If you need sticking, Riot Stickers got you ticking. So Riot Stickers, you get 1,000 stickers for $79. You cannot beat this incredible deal. These stickers have a UV coating on them. Let me tell you something. I was just at the, uh, the Genre Blast Film Festival out in uh, Winchester, Virginia, and I had stuck one of these from a stickers on a pole in direct sunlight two years ago. And let me tell you something, that sticker did not bleach out. That red, the red is the first color to really bleach out from the sun. That red was as red as the reddest red you ever saw. I mean, you really can't go wrong. 
with Riot stickers. They're also printed on vinyl, which makes them resilient to water. You get three inch by three inch stickers. Like I said, link is down in the description. That's a thousand stickers for $79. You go to riotstickers.com backslash from us. That's F-R-U-M as in Mary, E-S-S. Let's play the Less Than Jake theme song. By the way, everybody, you know, the Riot Stickers sponsored Genre Blast Film Festival this year. Everybody was singing along to Riot Stickers and clapping after the song. Everybody was stoked about it. It made me so happy. And don't you forget it. Um, I want to take a minute and talk about AJ. Let's talk about where AJ ends up. AJ, had this whole friggin' time, has been uh, an insufferable prick. By the way, real quick, we got to finish up what happens to Vito. So Vito ends up uh, dying at the hands of Phil. But very interesting, and I'm not going to lie, I did look this up on YouTube. I was watching some YouTube things. I did not come up with this. There's some a lot of symbolism that 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 Phil himself is a self-loathing uh, uh, in the closet gay man, and where is he when when Vito meets his end? Phil comes out of the closet of where Vito is staying. Now, do I think that's on purpose? I certainly don't think it's by accident. Well, here's the thing. Generally speaking, not you know this isn't uh, a this isn't a nine this isn't a one hundred percent out of one hundred percent all the time. But when you see something on the screen, it is not by accident. And that well, goes for everything. That depends. Not, yes. No, 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 no. It does not depend. It's a very, that is, that is such a, that is such a truth, man. Look, I'm not going to say it happens all the time. If it's done right, then that, then yes. But like. D- Phil coming um, out of a closet. Phil coming out of a closet. Oh, yeah. On a show like this, Phil, then it's absolutely intentional. When he's going no to kill Vito for being show, gay. On a show of this, cal- mm. of this caliber, there's absolutely no way that that's by accident. I'm saying there are shows of much lesser quality where, you know, it could just be happenstance. But how. Now, let me, let me counter this. Let me play devil's advocate for a second, okay? Now. <clears throat> could be uh you know symbolic right or it could be phil did that on purpose you know what i mean phil hid in that closet on purpose knowing what it meant like yeah within universe Uh, yeah i don't know i i i don't buy that i think i think that that is the subtle way of showing that phil mind you phil talks also about doing time and you know, doing what Backing you want to do a piece of tissue. 
Right, yeah, because you yak off and cheese off a radiator. We know, we know from Tony. Tony says that guys get a pass in jail because you got to do what you got to do. And so, Phil, it's very possible that Phil might have uh, uh, had male lovers in prison. Yeah, and maybe he's very ashamed of it. Right, and you know, no sooner as he get out, he projects things so detestable. You know, right? So he projects it onto Vito, and Vito also and onto Vito's surprised. son. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, he he really uh, poor Vito's son. I mean, he, the kid the kid uh, really gets wow. a crap end of the stick. And not only that, but then they try and you know, he turns like Mulgoff. And, and well, not not only that, but like Tony feels somewhat responsible, or is made to feel somewhat responsible, and to like sort of pick up the bill of like sending him to a place that can help him. And right. like, it winds up being cheaper for Tony just to like send him to one of those horrible, horrible wilderness camps. Yeah. And Tony um, like loses in gambling and so makes the cheaper choice. And I mean, from what I know about those wilderness camps, from what I've heard about those wilderness camps, bad, bad shit. Really bad shit. Really bad. And shit. Vito. We knew you and I had know a lot of people that have had that experience. Yeah, quite a few. And uh, I mean, you know, it's it's. I listen. I can't speak from firsthand experience. Neither can I. But it's. Yeah. But I, I don't think they're supposed to be good. And I think it's harrowing. They're harrowing. aware of that when they when they made the show. I mean, they know that this was. Yeah. And they're like, they fucking wake the poor kid up out of his bed and. Yeah, that's what, that's that's real shit. That really real happened. Shit. I mean, they don't do it. I, you know, wilderness stuff still exists, but not to the extent, not that, to the it extent that it was. And it's not as fashionable, but it mm -hmm. still happens. And that's really what happens to people is that they are asleep in bed. Kids are asleep in bed. Problem kids. Kids that who have be behavioral issues. Kids who like stomp on their own shit in the shower at high school. <laughs> Waffle stomping. Yeah. Um, listen, so listen. All right. So Vito, AJ, we got the whole thing with about, Vito. About AJ. So AJ has been is an insufferable piece of shit this entire show. From from being an underage piece of shit to being a, a, a an adult 20-something piece of shit. He is a piece of shit through and through. And it's interesting, by the way. I wouldn't say he's a piece of shit. He's just a baby. It's not he's that he's a baby. baby. He's an he's a self-absorbed. Yes, like narcissistic, like I don't even millennial. He's like the perfect millennial. Well, I mean, we're millennials and we aren't really. Well, like he that. is our we age, like too. that. He's exactly our age. We, he's exactly think, our age. He's born in it. We're both born I, in 85. So, yeah, obviously, like millennials aren't all like that, but it was certainly, I think. Yeah, well, hold on a second. Time, People that was are now, a stereotype. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Growing up in the last, in the 2010s and the late aughts, Millennials were like the the problem generation, and we were the complaining generation, all this shit. But now it's only now that people are starting to recontextualize all the shit that millennials have gone through, of course, and recognize that we literally got fucked over as a generationally speaking. Uh, talk about generationally speaking, we had it way worse than our boomer parents did, and of course, yeah, 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 you know. So, but point being is that he's the uh, atypical millennial as you would frame what a millennial is supposed to be back then. Yes, for sure. And I think that's supposed to represent um, sort of like the outcome of having rich parents 
who coddle him a bit, a you bit. know what I mean? Who, who weren't able to really like commit to being disciplinarians to him. They, you know, they had signs that he was troubled or ADHD or whatever, like from the beginning. And they don't really ever like commit to it because it's like, kind of takes too much work on their, yeah, end. they don't, they They're don't both kind him, of lazy parents. Honestly, they don't give him, they don't really give him the support, yeah. the support that he needs in order to break out of that. Tony is old school and this, that, and the other, but at the same time, in Tony's mind, Tony is doing a better job than his dad did. And so, he yeah, he, and realistically, he probably is. And he is. And he is. So it's a and low that's, bar. It's a low fucking bar. Though. Yeah. But well, well, here's the thing, though. And this is this is the truth about being a parent in general. You generally try to you're ne you're not going to necessarily always break the cycle. Thank you for your skulls. Our family trips. I appreciate it. If you haven't left some skulls for me, please leave some skulls in the live chat or in the comments below. Um, when you're a parent, you're trying, what's going on with you? Okay. I'm there, trying Paul? to make the chair recline. I oh, feel bad. Oh, look at me reclining my chair. Woo. <laughs> no, what you're, listen, what oh, you're trying God. to do, what you're trying to do is you're trying to push the, bo the board in the other direction. That's what you're trying to do. Y you're not going to necessarily break the cycle, but you're trying to do something slightly different. And even a few inches is better than no Wait, are we talking about the chair or are we talking about <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about parenting but i guess it applies to the chair too so you know in tony's mind it's like well age well aj got better than what i got so you know yeah and, I mean, and melfi calls that out Mel melfi calls that out aj when, aj i think actually at their last meeting like he's saying, you know, he's like, she realizes it's kind of like, I think it's one of the last things before she says, I don't think I can help you is that he's like bitching about AJ. And he's like, you know, I, sh if it, if it was my old man and she's like, you would have what you would have left the boot in his ass or whatever. Yeah. And, then, and and that's kind of like the last straw for her. She's like, oh, I've heard this a million fucking times. Yeah. And, uh, but and, she's, you know, hold on, hold on. It's a broken record. She is, Throughout that session, too, she is uh, she is frustrated with Tony because because of the, the truth about who he really is, whether Tony knows who he really is or not. And she's fear. She's like embarrassed for herself. She's furious that she's wasted so much time. And now here he is going off about age and she's like, I I'm done. I'm done with you. Yeah, That's it. Yeah, like she might have maybe given him a chance if he went in there and was anything but like the same old shit. But he just like sort of proved her intuition, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe not her intuition, but her her judgment ultimately. Right, right, right. But listen, AJ has a lot going on in this season. There he does. This is most seasonous season. There's, you know, there's there's the thing with the pool, which. Right, he tries to unalive himself because he's depressed. He's and he's been. Oh, wait, 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 wait! Hold on a second. You're skipping over something. He, knife thing? he finds no. He finds a girlfriend. And by the way, she is gorgeous, gorgeous Latina girlfriend, just beautiful girl. Oh, yeah. Just we're talking about the girl later on. No, no, that's one girl who's like still in high a, school. She's stuff. an afterthought. She's an afterthought yeah. comparatively. Oh, you're talking about Blanca. Blanca is the love of AJ's life. And Blanca is good for AJ. AJ is the best he's ever been. It's the one time where age where yeah, he actually changes. Is she? I don't think so. At all. 
I don't know if she's taking advantage of him, but she like changes her mind about him pretty quick. She well, this is what happens. She realizes that she ultimately realizes because Blanca has got a good head on her shoulders. Remember, the she's Sopranos gone on to do a lot of stuff. Has she? But she's the, like a, a big part of the MCU. She's she is absolutely she in that show in the Sopranos. She's breathtakingly beautiful. I mean, just yeah. absolutely beautiful. Now she she um. The Sopranos, we have to remember, the Sopranos, they are not good people. Even the kids are not good people. We know AJ's not a good person, but even Meadow, and here's why Meadow is not a good person. Meadow is probably the closest thing to a good person, but ultimately, they all know what their father is. They all know what they are enabling by just going with the flow. And ultimately, as a collective whole, let's not, I mean, I guess you can't totally blame Meadow or AJ because whatever, but collectively as a whole, the Sopranos are not good people. Blanca is a good person. She is a hardworking single mom who falls for AJ. I don't know enough about her to make that judgment. We absolutely know enough about her. I don't know that 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 kind of judgment is really what, a Wrong. show like this is concerned with. Wrong. I think the point of the show is sort of that people listen. Some are worse than others, but there's no real good people. And I mean, yeah, there's some bad people, but like, uh, but that's not what I'm. That's not what I mean. I mean that you don't that know ulti- anything about her. She listen. That we know a lot less about other characters, and we know enough to make a, a judgment call. She is ostensibly a good person. Okay, I'm. That's where I'm putting her. I'm putting her in the good pile. As opposed to Tony, where would you put Tony? Uh, we have more evidence to go with on Tony to know that he's not a great person. We we don't know anything about her. Like, this is what we know about her. This is what we know about her. She's she works. She works hard. She has a kid that she takes care of, and she just wants to have like a good domestic life. Those are three things about. Those are the three things we know about her. And in those three things, she is genuine. When she get enters the Soprano world. She's she's sort of she's disgusted by the wealth. She's sort of like she starts to realize the more she spends time around the Sopranos, not AJ, when it's just AJ, she's super into him. But when she starts seeing him around his family, that and see the the, the wealth and this, that, and the other, that it doesn't matter how good he takes care of her kid, because AJ is really good with her kid. She starts to see that it's funny how they judge her. They go, well, she's 10 years older and she has a kid. But ultimately, she starts to see that he's like this rich boy, deadbeat, whatever, like like sorry sack, this, that, and the other. And it's crystallized for her during the premiere of the of Christopher's movie when in a variety of ways I from like, about that movie man yeah the, the movie the saw movie hatchet right is it hatchet which is about tony which is totally about his relationship with tony and this that and the other uh it's really well done it's really funny and they have uh, t- uh the screenwriter by the way who writes the screenplay the the, the gambler from earlier season remember I wasn't with oh yeah and jt JT who gets who gets capped. I uh, wish I could have done first. season three. Talked about season three with you, man, and you know whatever, because uh, there's so much there that and that season I really know. Let me finish my let me finish my All point right. about Blanca. Blanca. She sees him at the premiere. She sees how he's acting, and then the next time we see Blanca, she's getting into a car 
with uh, her brother and she makes a clean break. She's yeah. like, she he proposes to her. She's not sure. And ultimately she walks away from what would have been a very comfortable life yeah. living with AJ through, through the Soprano family. She would have been taken care of, but you want to know something? She walks away from that. If she was not a good person, she would stay with AJ. But because she is a good person, because she ostensibly okay. knows the difference between right and wrong, that's you said we needed proof and evidence. There's your evidence that she I is never not really read it that way, but it sounds yeah, I, I, I buy it. Like, you, you, what I think is really funny is and then AJ fine. gets really depressed, and yeah. that's oh, when he gets he really depressed, to, but he gets really depressed. No, he gets depressed and then he starts doing good. It's called Cleaver, not Hatchet. Cleaver. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Crazy White Boy from uh, Baltimore. Man, I have no credibility right now. No, you're good. You're doing great. Um, there's a there's a time, and I don't remember if this is before or after the breakup, but like, no, it's after the breakup. And AJ's doing pretty well. Some he's like on the right meds and he's like doing pretty well. And he's like out with his that's right, because he's trying to get over her and he's out with like uh you know, one of the one of Pat Parisi's kids. Right, right, right. He gets into the he's hanging out with the frat guys who are pouring acid on the toes. And they there's that uh the kid who's like from uh I want to say he's from Kenya or something, and he bikes into the yeah. door and yeah. he watches them beat the shit out of this guy who's basically totally innocent, you know, and, and totally innocent. And and he's talking about it with his therapist, and he's he's depressed again. And has was doing good, and then he's depressed again after he sees that. Right, and he's also there's that whole thing about he's so like thick, though he's so thick because the the therapist says like, you know, did anything did anything about the um, the African boy um, or African student like uh, remind you of Blanca? And you know he's insinuating that like you know this is a guy who was like you know working. Right. And yeah. like working class and like, you know, trying his best and stuff. And who's like, you know, maybe an immigrant. <laughs> and he's like, you know, did, did, uh, did this boy like remind you of Blanca? And <laughs> AJ's like, what? Blanca's not black. I mean, <laughs> he's pretty tan. And that's like, that's like, that's like the best connection he can make is like, he's, 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 he's absolutely a worthless piece of shit aj he really is he really really is yeah i'm looking at pictures of her right now she is she's gorgeous she's absolutely gorgeous yeah that's the um, man yeah <laughs> that's right um so so you know aj he gets really he gets really freaking depressed he goes on this whole tear and it's kind of like weird it's like a weird place to leave aj and, well at one point he feels like he can find some purpose in like avenging his dad and he, he has yeah. this crazy cockamamie idea that Again, he's going to like, it's, it's wild, you know? And he, he has, there's a scene where like after that happens, when like Tony like gets him out, like bails him out or whatever. Right. Where he has this like heart to heart with him. And, and AJ's like, but whenever we watch Goodfellas, like whenever we watch The Godfather, you say that's your favorite part. And he's like, he realizes <laughs> that his son is just, a baby. He's like, AJ, it's a movie. Like, you know, like a AJ's whole idea of reality is so out of touch. Like AJ is so out of touch 
And um, he, you know, he didn't ever really, like you said, had the support he needed. And he thinks, you know, and he's also obviously got a genetic predisposition for depression. Panic attacks. And panic attacks and depression disorder. Yep. And it's something that they talk about. I think it's sort of a light motif that threads its way through the entire show. And, it, you know, it comes from Livia where she says, you know, when she's in the hospital and, and AJ goes to visit her and she's like, you know, you, you know, you're all alone in the end. You know, no one's there for you. And in, in the end, right. like, that begins as a, he has that. That's what starts his existential like uh it's all in, big nothing. enlightenment yeah but you he know? stays that way he talks about pollution he wants to join the army and just like all this uh, stuff like i know people just... like that man <laughs> <laughs> we know a lot of, i think people like that have become with the internet with the advent of the internet and and that's kind of where he's getting all into it he's watching al jazeera online or whatever yeah. but uh you know it's it's something that goes on in the world of the sopranos uh you know christopher was talking about um you know, you ever just get bored with the regularness of life? Like, you ever feel like the regularness of life is just weighing you down? Um, there's a lot of ex existential stuff going on, you know? Um, did we talk about... Well, uh, we should Juliana talk... Juliana Skiff? Who? Juliana Skiff? Uh, she is, like, the real estate person who is like trying to develop the old neighborhood and Tony. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tony's right. Got okay. The new light. Tony's got, there's so much in this season. Tony's got a new lease on life ever since he wakes up. I don't even want to talk about Kevin Finnerty. All right. Let's just mention it. I don't know what the hell's going on with that. He's yeah, having Kevin a Finnerty, Which guy is Kevin Finnerty? That's then? when Tony, that's Tony's alter ego when he's in, uh, He's oh, that's in. so. That was such an annoying, like unnecessary, oh, very yeah. unnecessary. Chop that up to just some of the dream symbolism shit that they do. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. You know, it was whatever. It's not worth right. Infinity, but basically, she, the 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 real estate agent, she she ends up uh, uh, sort of involved with Chris. Well, hold on. Let's back up for a second. All right, all right, go he ahead. You do get, it. She, there's an attraction there between her and Tony. And Tony wants to fuck her, right? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, she's like, oh, I'm like engaged to someone or something. And then something happens where she kind of decides, you know, maybe I am willing to sleep with him. And then they meet up. They're like, oh, yeah, let's sign this contract like over like at my place. Yeah, she knows. And, she knows. And what then the she deal goes is. to pull the trigger. He goes for it. And he has this like sudden onset of like doing the right thing and like not cheating on Carmela anymore. And he kind of like makes a big deal of it. And like, does he really, cheat on her after that though? I think he does. No, no, no. He, he like, well, yeah, that's later, but he's like, um, he's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to do this. And he like kind of makes her feel like a piece of shit. And then just like walks out. Yeah. Like, the things like, are we done here? And like really kind of fucks with her emotions. And then I think she like, she, she meets Chris and she's yeah. like staring about it at a meeting or like with her sponsor or something. And she, you know, obviously wanted to do the toxic thing and like cheat on her um, fiance or like, you know, like she knew, she knew she was like doing the wrong thing and then had it sort of thrown back at her. And then somehow she gets involved with Christopher. I don't know if they meet. Uh, they the, met, they met in a meeting in the meeting. 
And what ends up happening is, and you know, this is an example of, I, to me, this is one of, you know, there, there's a lot of shows out there, you know, you got to do your paint by numbers, you know, uh, 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 I'm addict. I have a, a addiction. I got to go to a meeting and it's always like the, it's always not very real or accurate to what meetings really are like in, in 12 step circles. They always do. They always have some weird way of sharing or the sponsorship is weird, but they do one thing in the Sopranos that I thought is, was so true to like all of that. And it's when she's sick and she says, I need a special kind of tea bag. And I take this tea bag and it makes me, it, 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 uh, it'll do the trick. I don't want to take DXM. Because DXM will get me high. You know, DXM is a cough suppressant in, in cough syrup. So it literally match cuts from them, from Chris getting her this certain type of tea bag to them freebasing heroin. And it just is such like, uh, it's, it's so, like it, the two sickies don't make a welly. No. Yeah. But not just that. Yes, of course that, but. It's just the idea of like how that it's like you you open the door just a fucking crack. Oh, and yeah. it just fucking it. blows open how you try to be so careful and it just blows open. And before you like they don't even blink an eye and they're fucking freebasing heroin. It's like that was like like that was their destiny. You know what I mean? And it's like, how long are we gonna kid ourselves? And pretend uh, yeah exactly yeah like that that is like what they ultimate like it's probably deep down that's what they really fantasize yeah. about doing together but what's just amazing to me though is just like it's again it's just that it's it's like this it's this moment of not being guard of unguardedness yeah that allows for well, that to take place I, and then there's the ride right uh which is probably my you know, top three, top five episodes for me. Um, everything about it from, you know, that little scene where they're with the Vipers. We're with the Vipers. And they do the, you know, it's playing, uh, uh-huh. what is it? Um, that song. That song, yeah. Is it slow? It's not slow ride, take it easy. It's uh, all right now, baby. It's yeah, some up. 70s music that Tony yeah. really likes. And and they're playing that, and they just see this opportunity, and like suddenly, you know, Chris is sober, right? And then they got all this wine, and they're all they're all on this they're riding this high from you know the shootout with this this biker gang and stuff. He's like, I hit him, and you know, right. their friendship is like to the max. You know, it's like nothing. Right, it's the last, and it's the last time. It's the last time that that they're ever going to be tight. But what's so sad about it, and it's a repeat of what happened with well, Tony B and Tony, where they tell him, hey, loosen up, have a drink. Well, you it's know. not even loosen up, have a drink at this point. It's like Tony doesn't have any inkling as to like the way that whole disease works. And so he's just like, you know, listen, like, don't do heroin, but like, of course you can have like a glass of wine with me. We'll talk, you know, and he just finds right. out that he's like, what does he get married? And this is my son. My away. son will be my strength. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, yeah. And then, you know, by the end of the episode, Chris is shooting dope. And there's that great sequence with the, um, 
Fred, what's his name? There's that dolphin song by Fred Neal. And I mean, it's exquisite. That, that whole episode is exquisite. I love it. And it's got that flashback of him telling Tony about Adriana. And it's so deeply emotional and it's right. a physical scene, you know, and, and, and it brings them even closer because Tony does this thing for him at a time where Christopher, I mean, Christopher really kind of fucks up in the sense by, by at least by mob standards. Yeah. He fucks up in the sense that, that, or the way that it would be viewed by his constituents is you brought in a fucking rat. You yeah. fucked up. And so he does the one thing that could literally save his life. He tells Tony show proving his how trustworthy he is and basically sending Adriana to her death. Yeah. And then, you know, James Candelfini has this thing. Uh, he's got these really big hands. He, he's got this certain physicality. He's a, to he's a bear. He's a bear. He's like a bear. He's like, a, you know, and, and he he's like thing. this. He goes, you know, and yeah, he is. And, and it's like, there he's crying and he like can't even say it and he's like adriana feds and then like you know yeah like at first tony like he shoves him or something or he's feeling to see if he's wearing a wire and chris is like how could you even think that and then like tony's overcome with warmth for him and he takes those big bear paws and like puts them around his head and like he's like he's like the little like like a cub you know what i mean and he's like it's all right and he like, yeah. cradles him the acting in this show is really second to none, man. It's it's unlike anything I've ever seen. In any case, before. what they do, but what they do that's so great is that they they cut out this moment. They 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 make it a surprise. We think for a second Adriana is going to get away. They even tease us with a with a with a a, a fantasy of her driving. Well, a Baltimore. now we're talking about fifth season again. I'm no, talking, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is the writing and the editing is brilliant because what they did was. They took out. It was like they. It was like they gave us an Oreo and they took the cream out and saved it for later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They scraped all the cream out. They gave us one cookie, which is uh, Chris is gonna uh, or Adriana is driving up to whatever to to meet her fate. Uh, the the other cookie is Silvio dragging her out of the car and capping her, and then they saved the cream. Which was the betrayal. We don't get to see the betrayal. We had to wait a whole year. Yeah. Before the six season, actually, we waited even longer than a year, right? Because it was season yeah. was split, so it's more like two years before you get to. Well, that was part of six A. The right okay. part of six right. A, but still, there was a, a pretty big hiatus, if I remember correctly. You have to, you had to wait a really long time by those you standards, got to by the standards yeah. of back then. These days, right. we're used to waiting, you know, for fucking House of the Dragon next season or or Stranger Things or whatever. We're used to waiting like three. Years between have you seasons. watched House of Dragon? I haven't seen it yet. It's it's very good. I'm gonna check it out. It's not great. It's not as great as I mean, listen. <laughs> That's a whole finish, other show. Finish the book. <laughs> George, if you're watching, finish the books. He is watching, finish but he's never listen, I'm gonna tell you the truth, man. He's never gonna finish those books. I think he I think he ultimately knows that they fucked up the show so bad. And he, or if he is finishing the books, he has to already decided. Maybe he's already finished them. He is not going to release that shit until Game of Thrones, the TV show, is like years. He wants distance now. 
Because they fucked up so bad listen, that he needs the distance. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's it's a it's more work than he anticipated. I think he, there's so much going on. But listen, I just want to say this. There's only one thing that would get me as excited as finding out that that book is out. And probably less excited. Not even as excited. Would it make you come a little bit in your pants? No. But yeah, it would. Come on. If he... If if I found out that David Lynch is working on a feature length production, that would also. When was the last time David Lynch made a movie? It's been a while. Um, Inland Inland Empire. I would count Twin Peaks: The Return as a movie, as an eighteen. It's not a movie. No, it's an eighteen hour hour movie. It is. It is. It absolutely is. It's amazing that they gave him money to make that. They said, "They said here, we are giving you full artistic control." And his idea of full artistic control was <laughs> fucking uh, got a light. Got a light. Listen, if you want to talk about that sometime, I just uh, I'd have to rewatch it. I'll be honest with you; I don't know if I could ever rewatch that. I didn't think I could, but I did, and it was so worth it. And I want to see. I'm still waiting to get Lost Highway on Criterion to watch. I've never uh, seen it. You've never it's, seen it. It's on Criterion. I want to get it. I'll tell you something. I watched that movie with the flu by myself on shrooms, and what if I had to? I had to uh, promise Lou myself Reed, I Lou wasn't going to cover this magic moment, and it's a really good fucking. I told myself I was never going to watch anything weird for at least another year because I just, I got so weirded out by it. It just was too weird of an experience. And anyway. did that happen? Huh? No, I got weird pretty soon after. Hey, all right. So listen, so, all yeah. right. So we got the ride in, we got the, um, well, hold on. We were talking, what I was saying was the, that we got this in, they, they did an incredible job excising that part and then saving it for season six. And they brought it back. They're like, let's go to this super tender moment to really crystallize Tony and Chris's relationship because in the very next bit, you know, bit of the show, I don't even know if it, maybe it's the same episode, maybe it's the episode right before, they kill Christopher and they kill Christopher. Tony kills Christopher. Also, there's a whole thing with like Carmela being like, like seeing Liz. Carm. Carm sees Liz and Liz is like, I'm not drunk. I haven't had a drink in years. Like, I, there's no way that she, you know, because, like, the story, yeah. they didn't come up with a very good backstory for Adriana. They're like, oh, she she left me. She ran off with some guy. Like, they didn't count on the fact that, like, maybe you need, like, a little bit better of a story, you know, because she was, like, really close with Carmela to, to the degree yeah. that you can be close when you have all those secrets. She, very, very, very stuff. close. Very close. So you just think, and, and so Chris is, you know, like, oh, yeah, she went away, and Carm's like, what? Like, oh, my, because they were going to get married and shit. And so Tony's just like, it's like Carm doesn't know, like, does, it should be obvious to her at this point. It's like, he's like, oh, yeah, she went, it's like, no, like, I saw her mother, like, you know, we and he's like, listen, T Tony is like, listen, we don't want to spoil his progress. Let's just leave it alone. And he says, we don't want to spoil his progress. And he's that's got a problem. Line. That's why Carm is also a very bad person, even though ultimately right. Carm, because Carm knows Carm is not stupid. She knows she just about know right away. She, hold on a she second. gets the idea. She knows almost everything. She knows her husband is a terrible human being. And she basically trades her morality for material possessions. I don't think she knows that 
I don't think she, she knows, knows her husband's a murderer. Yeah, but she doesn't she, think that he killed Adriana. Right. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And she most certainly never finds out. Nobody maybe finds we out. Get that a, maybe we should get a maybe we should get a uh private eye. A private eye. And he goes, he as he's swirling the wine, he goes, I wouldn't want to spoil his progress. And then he sniffs the wine. <laughs> um fucking evil bastard. So then look, so then what happens to Chris? Chris has been getting high on the low. He's at this point, at this point, he's remarried. He's got a house in the burbs. He gets into it with Polly over Polly's nephew. They have a whole back and forth. And Polly and Chris have always had a tumultuous relationship since the yes. beginning. And it culminates this one last time where 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 they he go back and forth Polly. to each other. I yeah, mean, he, he pushes, pushes little Polly out the window. He pushes little Polly out a window. Little Polly breaks his neck. Um uh, uh, uh Polly Walnuts. Uh, destroys the front lawn of Chris's new house, and and that's seemingly that for a while. And then Chris goes off the wagon when he has to go to the club, and he basically just kept like like Tony and Paulie rip on Christopher, and Christopher gets so insecure that he starts drinking again, and that leads to the heroin use. They're driving, then then he shows up. No, then he shows up at, at the club JT's place, and he's all fucked oh, right. up. And JT says, you know, the one thing you never want to say to a mobster, you're in the mafia. And Chris just shoots him, like, impulsively. Well, no, what he does, I, I think JT suggests some, or alludes to the idea that he could, like, tell on Christopher or something. I forgot what no, he said. No, it's not that. It's like Christopher is just there, and he's wasted, and he's, like, not really coherent. He's not, like, he's not, like, Right, but here's what's interesting. He's not reasonable. Christopher does not. When Christopher goes there, he's going there for relief. He has no intention of killing JT. No, JT has no intention of dying. What happens in that? Uh, uh, when things go south, all of that changes. JT is shot and killed. And what it's it does is things go south. It's just that you know he's having basically a little pity party, and JT is sober and is like trying to tell him like, listen, right. man, get it together. And Chris. Is All the things that Chris, he, Chris, Chris is not getting what he wants out of it. Yeah, but Chris has said that to JT in the past when he was taking him for all his money after he Yeah, but he didn't really. That was disingenuous, though. That was just him, like, you know. But what I'm saying is, like, he says, you know, like, and JT's like, listen, man, sober up, go to a meeting, this and that. Chris doesn't want to hear it. And JT sort of has this moment where he just was like, dude, like, what do you expect? You're in the mafia. You know, he right. just and, and that's what he says. He says you're in the mafia, and that causes him to and to and, and and Christopher doesn't think it through because he's a uh, emotional person because he's in an inebriated state and because he's a person who's desensitized to violence. So without even thinking, he just says, "Oh, why? You know, let me just do this. Let me just do that." He just shoots him, and boom, that's it. Right. And now shoot. here's the other thing too. There's uh, have you heard this phrase, Jeremy uh, Spice? Do you know this phrase? It's called "save the cat." Do you know what that means? I know "shave the cat." Okay, so "save the cat" is a screenwriting technique that you will see throughout all of cinema history. Not all of cinema history, but it's like it's a trope that has been coined as this term "save the cat." And what it basically means is, if you if your character saves a cat or saves like you know. It's your character does something that makes your character likable. Your character does something 
a great example. Look at Ripley and her cat Jinx. Uh, no, uh, uh, her cat in uh, Alien. Mm-hmm. She goes back to save her cat. She doesn't leave her cat on the Nostromo, right? Uh, what's his name? It's going to bother me. Uh, not Jinx. What the fuck is the name of the cat? Is it Clyde? No, Binksy? Binksy? I remember Clyde. Yeah, I remember Clyde. So, say, she, but save the cat basically means you do something esteemable that makes the audience like you. And you'll see characters all the time do what is known as save the cat. They sometimes it literally means that they literally actually do save the cat. Okay, and it could be a variety of things. In the case of the Sopranos and Christopher in particular, you know, we've grown to love Christopher despite the fact that he does horrible things. But Christopher is one of the most deplorable characters on the show with and that he's just like grossly incompetent. Yeah. There's just a million reasons not to like yeah. But but what they do is they they basically do the opposite of save the cat when they let him kill JT. It's a it's a murder that is so it's so blatantly there's something so egregious about murdering JT in an innocent just such an innocent guy in cold blood. Like JT like did like literally nothing to deserve the fate that he got apart from associating with the mob, which is I guess you know, whatever. He didn't know what he was doing, though. I mean, he yeah, didn't... like whatever. The point is that JT, no, <laughs> right? That's right, JTS. So, the point is, the point of what I'm saying is, they set us up for Christopher's death by having him murder someone in cold blood that we would never want to see. No one wants to see JT get murdered. Nobody is. Yeah, but you know what? Also, like, I don't think anyone cared that much. Like, JT, I was my. I had forgot that happened, and when that happened. When I was rewatching it like a few months ago, my jaw dropped. I was like, holy shit. And then the very next episode, they kill Chris. And you, it's know, really... you know who JT reminds me of? Who? Is, uh, in Westworld, um, uh, Teddy. You know Teddy? Uh, James Marty- Marty. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and the man in black is just like, uh, Teddy. And just like shoots him like. Like you get it, Teddy. You're like a good guy. Like you're no one really cares about you. So listen, hold on. So next episode, we get to this whole thing with Christopher. Right. Now they're listening to the departed soundtrack. Right? They're listening right. to Comfortably Numb from the Departed soundtrack. There's kind of a lot going on from uh, you know, in terms of like subliminal stuff, right? Um, you know, like the lyrics to Comfortably Numb, right? First of all, the departed, right? What is the departed, right? Dead people, right? The departed. And uh, I think Christopher even says, when he puts it on, he goes, oh, you know, have you heard this? It's the departed soundtrack. It's fucking killer or something along those lines. Um, and then, you know, what is it? Uh, there is no pain. You are receding. A distant ship smoke on the horizon. You're only coming through and wait. Uh, I mean, Whatever, and it's it. There's some allusion to death. In, You're talking about the foreshadowing of of his death. Yes, in that scene, and I think again, the nuance and the subtlety of Christopher being high on coke. I think it winds up being coke. Uh, you know, he's oh, not like. On, oh no, no, no! I think they they find coke in his bloodstream, uh, and you know, it's like. 
he's not all geeked up like you would see in in movies like someone's on coke like like ralphie for no you see he seems like he's down uh, like he's on a downer actually no 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 like like so when uh when ralphie's on coke he like really overdoes it and he's swinging the chain around and he's fucking fighting people and stuff and you know attacking georgie but when chris chris is on coke they find cocaine in his bloodstream and he's like he looks like he's on a downer because he's like trying to play it down and so he's like you know he it's like his face it's like yeah, he looks, looks like, like no, of, he looks like he's on it looks like he's on a depressant. Like he doesn't look like he's on coke. He looks like he's like you know. Yeah, I mean, I I I always read it as he's on coke and so it just makes him sort of like hyper aware of the fact that like Tony's checking him out and he's just like trying really hard to act normal, so his face is just kind of like stiff and stuff. And uh I mean, I it reads to me like he was on coke. Um and I think you can, Tony, I think there's a shot of Tony also subtly uh, clocking the fact that, like, Chris is not sober. Um, and well, no, I don't think Tony was aware at all that Chris wasn't sober until he says it. I don't know, man. There's a look he gives him. There's a look he gives him. Maybe where, I'd have to rewatch, but the point yeah. being is that the he car... like he has this like like he doesn't know exactly what's going on, but he yeah. like looks at him like like right. that for a second. But basically, look, the car flips over, they get into an accident. Tony walks away unscathed. Chris is in bad shape. He is bleeding, and Tony looks in the back seat. He sees that a branch has has uh, uh, come through the window of the car. Well, and rests on a baby seat. And Chris also says something like, "Oh, we gotta like switch seats." He or says, whatever. "He says, you know." But here's the thing: he doesn't, he doesn't ask it, and he doesn't say, "We gotta." He demands it. He actually demands it. And I, I'll, oh, that always, whenever I, when I saw that again, I was like, "Whoa!" It was like he says, he says, "Switch with me. You gotta switch with me. I'll never pass the drug test." Mm-hmm. And that is for Tony. I think ultimately, like, I think if if Christopher wasn't as fucked up as he was, like, like physically banged up, I truly think that 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 Tony would have helped him out and would have given him another chance or let him live. I think because Tony was in it was such a mess. I think that's what motivated Tony to kill him. He looked in the backseat, used that as the justification, along with the fact that he was high and just said, it's so much easier if you just die right now. It just mm-hmm. makes my life convenient. I like if swear if he was not, if he had gotten out of the car of, on his own accord and been okay, Tony wouldn't have attacked him. Tony would have just they would have just gotten out of it. It would have no, been whatever. It's like a it's all and well kind of, and it's also like a uh, it was it was an opportunity. Blood. Yeah, it was like I was about to say. You know, like in the same way that like certain animals, you literally took the words out of my mouth in the same way that like certain animals like crabs, they're opportunistic feeders. And what it means is if like the opportunity presents itself, it's going to try and feed. But if it doesn't, it's not even going to think about it. It's like yeah. not even. And when Tony sees how injured Chris is, he's like, eh, it's easier to do this. And he just yeah. without scruple, just just you know and then uh, he's got this whole thing where he's like trying to feel justify yeah not even justify it but like he doesn't he's almost like shocked at how genuine 
other people's emotional responses. Like everyone else is like kind of like Carmela's kind of devastated. He's not. It. No, he's not shocked. He's he not just, shocked. No, but he's, he's like. No, he's tired. He doesn't want to fucking deal with it. He doesn't want to talk about it. He's he does. It's kind of like the the thing with uh, his mother. It's what you're gonna do. What are you gonna do? Yeah. You know, like it's just. But he, you know, he has to. What what bothers him? What irks him is he has to pretend like he gives a shit. Yeah. And he has to go through this. And there's that whole scene about where he's talking to Melfi. Right. It's a dream. He just opens up and is honest. And it's like, listen, I've killed family members before. You know, my cousin Tony. And I'm like, oh, my God. He's actually being real with her for the first time. And it's a dream. And then a couple scenes later, he gives his edited version of what he would like to say. Right. Like, you know, it's. And I mean, that's why ultimately therapy one of the reasons why therapy is never going to work for him. You can't be honest with your therapist. It's not going to work, you know, and he can't be honest because he's tied to, you know, um, the law, you know, or she's tied to the law rather. So he can't be honest. And even if he could be a hundred percent honest with her, he probably wouldn't have any therapeutic value because he is a sociopath. Well, that's the other thing too, is that things always have to end up in his favor. And you can't if you tell the truth, you run the risk of things not ending up in your favor and presents a conflict of interest. So ultimately, Tony is left in the situation where he has to act gen and when he and when Paul Paulie's mother dies at the same time, his aunt actually technically that's his aunt mom. by it is his mom. I totally love his mom. Her face. You're right. Oh, she's the best. I, I by the way, I, we just want to Paulie, are you gonna come sit with me? <laughs> When when he kills when he kills that when he kills her friend over the money in the mattress, she's like, "You were always a bad kid, Paul." <laughs> he tries so, to play it off like he's there. He's like, "Oh, right. I was gonna." It's like, the fuck are you? You want to know something? You want to know something? Ah. I, that was wrong of me. It, you're you're one hundred percent right. That was his mother, hands down. That was his mother. Yeah. I just was saying in the fact oh, that he found that out yeah. that yeah. he. That you know, that's what happened to Jack Nicholson. He was really horrible to her. You know, Jack Jack Nicholson found out when he was much older. He found out that his mom was actually his grandmother, and that his older sister was his mother, and Mm. it fucked him up bad. Yeah. Um. So, so Tony is so relieved to go to Paulie's mom's thing that's happening across the way from Christopher's. Because he just wants to get out. He doesn't want to sit there because, you know, people treat him because he said he was like, he's my nephew. He's my son. He's my cousin. You know, like all this stuff, even though they're distantly related. Now, what's interesting is it's kind of amazing how Tony, when we're going to fold many saints of Newark in for a second, that a Tony held Christopher as a baby. And to think that Tony also fucking, you know, shuffled loose his mortal coil so many years later is kind of really heavy. And two, that it was junior who ended up killing Dickie Maltisanti, which in turn really changes so much of Christopher and Tony's relationship because Tony trying to get Christopher's loyalty tells him that's the guy that killed your dad. It was a cop. Yeah. There's that whole thing. Was that he lied to he fucking lied to him. I think that was five. It was definitely he five. He lied to him and and Chris realizes it when he has the guy tied up there. He's like, you know what? It doesn't even matter. You know, he wants you dead. 
Uh, maybe I I he always took that. It he that says even. those words. He says, "You know what? It doesn't even matter if he is lying. The fact is, he wants you dead." Right, but that just goes to show that 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 Christopher has unlimited, undying loyalty to Tony. But the reality is that he, you know, Tony, Tony fucking lied to him oh, in yeah. such a way. I mean, really, just uh, atrociously lied. Um, the many saints in Newark, just to touch on it, cause I'm not going to do a separate episode. It's, uh, it's, it's not that great. It's, uh, it's actually, I mean, there, there are a few moments, like again, finding out that junior was the one that whacked Chrissy's dad is like actually pretty profound. And like I said, changes the Sopranos in an interesting way where we know that Tony lied to Chris, but there's like, just, you know, it's really that there's so it's so it wasn't cast well. And, you know, that's the problem with, you know, just in the way that I've heard you say how you don't want to watch biopics because there's no way that anybody can do the justice. I of also the don't want to watch someone else, some other actor be a fucking Han Solo. Like, bro, if you're not, if you're not Harrison Ford, you're not Han Solo. You know what I'm saying? There's certain, not, hold on. There not, are certain roles where, where that Van is Zandt. not true. If you're not Stevie Van Zandt, Right. I don't want to see you Silvio. You're like, not going to be Silvio. I agree. I do agree. So, but I, listen, that, that if that's you're not a fucking objective. Stallone. Yeah, no one can play Rocky. you to be Rocky. It's Although true. I would love to have seen the musical. I bet it was dope. Although I will tell you, hands down, um, there's nobody who could replace Robert Shaw. Jaws is an unremakeable movie, as is Back to the Future. There are just some movies that are you know casted. What the Back yes, and and his son plays uh, Quint. I heard Michael J. Fox was at my job today. Um, why didn't you say hello to him? He's a Misfits fan, by the I way. I didn't see him. Uh, Cindy Crawford was there too. What? Why was? Why were they there? Um, you know, I could name drop two at the place that I work, but I'm not go a. I it doesn't say publicly on the internet where I work, and I keep it that way on purpose. And B. <laughs> I wouldn't name drop like you. So I'll tell you when we go off air. Um, all right. But that is cool that Michael. I didn't Fox, see them. I just heard that they might be there. I mean, it's still fucking cool, though. I mean, yeah. that's awesome. Um, um, would have been a lot cooler if you got to take a picture or see <laughs> them, though. Yeah, but yo, so check it out. Many Saints of Newark. I watched it with an open mind. I didn't had you very- work on it? You worked on it, too. No, no, I didn't. Oh. Um, I, you know what? I think the reason you're thinking that is because I was working on a project. Plot Against doing, America. Yes, that's what it wound up being. Right. Um, it was like an HBO thing or whatever. Right. Um, but I went in with very low expectations. I saw the trailer. It didn't move me. Um, yeah. I don't really love the idea of like, it's like the Beatles. If they had come out with an album in 75 or something like, you know what, man? Let let good enough leave good enough it's like it's digging up an exquisite corpse that's yeah let it lie so i mean the only exception is twin peaks the return because that was a horse of another color i think there's a lot of exceptions yes okay probably a lot lot of of exceptions but but in those two cases that you you don't want so i watched it with an open mind i figured i'm probably not gonna like it but i'm sure you know and listen did you see uh was it called Not Fade Away? Uh, no, what is that? 
Um, so Not Fade Away was an American drama film directed by David Chase. Um, it came out in December of 2012. Okay. Um, so I was like, all right, this is going to be good. It had James Gandolfini. Um, and it's, you know, named after Not Fade Away, which was a uh, Buddy Holly song uh, famously covered by Roy Stones and okay. my and my personal favorite, The Grateful Dead. Um, so oh. I thought this movie was going to be great. Um, you know, and it's, you know, it's about a guy trying to like join the rock and roll scene or something. It was ultimately a fucking really forgettable movie that didn't move me at all, despite all of the uh, implications that it probably would be right up my alley. And it just didn't yeah. move me. And so I realized, and I think David Chase, if I'm not mistaken, only really directed two episodes of The Sopranos. Um, and so... He did the pilot and he did the finale, I think, right? Yeah, I, I believe that's the case. I don't want to misspeak, but, you know, so it occurred to me that, like, you know, maybe he's not the greatest director. but You know why the- You know why they direct the pilot, right? Same thing with Vince Gilligan? Uh, no. Because if you direct the pilot, you are entitled to residuals on every single Interesting. you get director's residuals on like let's say you're just a pilot director like you you're not like the showrunner or like you didn't create yeah. the show and you just direct the pilot if the show takes off for like 10 seasons and goes into like syndication and shit like you you're tied into all of that shit just That's from cool. directing the pilot so but to my point that you know David Chase is probably not a great director um, or maybe he is, you know, maybe he is, but like maybe for whatever other reason, um, not fade away was just a miss for me personally. So I kind of suspected that that would be the case with many saints of Newark as well. Um, but I figured, Wait, I'd oh, did he direct, he directed many saints of Newark. Yes. So I, nice. I believe so. I believe so. Um, let me double check on that. Yeah. Why don't you double check on um, that? Where's, shocked. Where's, where's Jamie when you need him? Uh, yeah. Pull this up, Jamie. Uh, directed by no, I'm I'm wrong. Uh, written by David Chase. Directed oh, by okay. okay. Um, so regardless, uh, you know, I didn't have high hopes. Trailer didn't do anything for me, and then I went in and I went to watch it with an open mind. I'm saying maybe it'll be fun, maybe it'll be okay. And I just felt like I spent the first hour of the film, like waiting for something to happen, like waiting for it to get good like waiting for something to be presented to me that I that I cared about. And it just didn't happen until maybe the last 20 minutes of the film that I actually started to be like, oh, this is actually kind of interesting and I kind of enjoy this a little bit. But the main plot points were totally forgettable to me. I don't even... Yeah, they were... But they were miscast. They were just... They were miscast. miscast. And, the, and then just- the other thing is, um, I basically, like... So recently I was watching a uh, um, <laughs> crazy white boy likes the dead. You're, you're in good, you're in good company, crazy white boy. Um, so recently I read or I watched a video. Um, I think it was a YouTube video of this channel. I can't remember it cause it's been over a year that uh, does great, great, uh, what do you call it? Analyses of, uh, you know, certain themes in the Sopranos. Yeah. 
uh, stuff that I think has like a lot of credibility that I really enjoy and that I really buy into. And so this uh, channel produced a video sort of in defense of uh, Many Saints of Newark and sort of outlining what the audience got wrong. And while it was a very convincing defense of the movie, and I've yet to rewatch it with those points in mind, a good film, if it's a good film, I don't need to like read a defense on it and think, oh, that you're right, that was good. If it's a good good film, I'm going to enjoy it. It's no, like, no, no, you're wrong. It's like you're wrong. Hesh said, Hesh said no. you know, if it's a hit, if it's a hit, you know what I mean? Some things have a hit quality no, and some don't. Things don't know. There are some things that are acquired tastes, and there are some things that require deeper, uh, deeper analysis before yes. they can be reviewed. Sure. A great example, great example. I just rewatched my friend Bob Rose, who I podcast with on mm -hmm. here sometimes. Shout out to Bob. I've podcasted was, with him, I believe. Oh, I think you did. Yeah. yeah. So Bob is a huge fan of Jaws. Bob has a has a screenplay podcast called Writer's Blockbuster, where they dissect uh, blockbuster screenplays and just talk about the mechanics. And it's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. It made me, you know, what happens is I listen to the show and then I literally send Bob voice memos like saying whether I agree or disagree with what they're saying. And we go back yeah. and forth and which launched me into watching jaws, which I had seen two years ago. And before that hadn't seen uh, in 15 years. And before that I used to watch hundreds of times on like TBS or whatever. You know, I grew up with jaws. We all grew up with jaws. I, so, I, mean, I know. Okay. Well, I know jaws, you know, fairly well, but I, this is, I mean, I've seen, I've had to have seen jaws like a hundred times. I've seen it so many times. And yet here I am watching Jaws as an adult. I'm watching Jaws as an adult. I'm watching Jaws as a father. I'm watching Jaws as a filmmaker. And I see we we just him and I in in back and forth in the Facebook messages, we just we deconstructed Quint and the Captain Ahab foreshadowing and just like all this stuff that is connected, his motivations, the the superstition behind the life preservers, why he goes crazy. Like, what is he thinking? And it just elevated. Like these were things that had to be either explained to me or I had to analyze. Well, I'll give you that. You're right. right actually. It but, just, uh... Yeah. So I, I disagree with your notion. I'm not saying, listen, I know what you're trying to say. What you're trying to say is good. Good shit is good shit. And you don't need something to tell you something is good shit. If your ears or your eyeballs like it, you're gonna like it. It's kind of like, yeah. it's kind of like knowing whether you know what you're into sexually. Whatever gets your dick hard, right? Bottom line, straight up. If it gets your dick hard, then you're into it. Yeah. You know, good or bad, whatever that may be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's like you know, if you're if you're maybe maybe you like uh, maybe, maybe it's eating maybe maybe it's even eating deviled eggs. You know, like right. Oh, did you see what I sent you? By the way. No, I, no, oh, I, it's, I think it's on. It's either on Facebook or something. Uh, point being is, maybe you're a hey, maybe you're a dendrophilia. Maybe you're a dendrophiliac. You like fucking trees. It's like if trees get your dick hard, that might not be the best thing because that's got a shafe, you know. Unless yeah, you, I mean, listen, if if you're into collecting business cards, that gets you hard. <laughs> collect business cards. The point being, whatever gets your dick hard gets your dick hard, yeah. and so. And so it, there is something to be said with that in, in, in as well. However, I, there are so many movies where a, 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 a revisiting 
and sure. a reassessment yeah. has uh, drastically changed my point of view on a movie. I've I look at Wes Anderson's entire filmography, which I basically uh, dismissed from the onset, and then rewatched them years later, and was like, mm-hmm. "My God, this is one of the greatest fucking filmmakers of our yeah. fucking generation." So, um, you know, and you're right. Sometimes time, like, I think a good example is honestly like the ending of The Sopranos. Um, at sure, first, everybody was fucking I, angry about it. Nice, you know, segue. everyone was that angry. Was I think there's there's still good. a lot of people who are angry about it. Yeah. Um, I'm very accepting of it. I appreciate it. I, I love it. And you know what? I think if they had done anything really overt, people would have been more upset. You know? You needed an open-ended ambiguity in order to make it work. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, is it ambiguous? Is it a nail in the coffin? At the end of the day, we don't really know. And that's kind of what's fun about well, it. It's presented um, ambiguously, but I think having rewatched the series with the subtitles on, great example. Oh, great example of what we were just talking about. Watch any movie that you used to watch as a kid with the subtitles on, and I guarantee it will be a different fucking movie for you. There's mm. so much shit you miss in dialogue you don't even realize. And I'll tell you something: rewatching The Sopranos. The, I, again, they set up perfectly. It's like they smack you in the face with it. God, they have, sorry, so many of these like Italian, like terms that they say, like these little expressions. Yeah, like what that, was like I didn't know what balance. the hell they were that they were saying. That yeah. like now with the eye with the option to watch it. With right, that's things, right. Like Marone. Like, oh, like, that's what he said. He said statazit, and I'm like, I can look up what that means. Right. You know? No, you're like, absolutely right. So the point being that when Bobby and Tony are sitting in a boat talking, I never, I, I never picked up on that the first time. And I was yeah, laughing. With Lake in, uh, right. But I was laughing because I'm going, why is this such a fucking point of debate? They literally clear as day inform us that you don't hear it when you get clipped and everything goes to black. They are literally setting us up for the end of the show. Yeah, I mean, it's so fucking blatantly obvious. It happens. I next- blatantly so- obvious. I think it's a very, very strong theory, but at the end of the day, we'll never know a hundred percent. We'll never know hundred percent unless David Chase specifically confirms it. And I think he kind of has in interviews. He almost did. He, I think referred to it by accident as the death scene. It's too well. Here's the thing: <laughs> it is, a- it is too, conco- it's too uh, engineered. It's too greatly engineered for it to not be known. So there is an answer, and only David Chase and the writers can really give us that answer. However, I think it is again it, the Occam's razor of it all is very simply: they're sitting in a boat. Bobby out of nowhere says, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, everything goes black. You don't even hear it when you get clipped. Boom. And isn't there a flashback to that dialogue at some point later in? uh, There might be. There might be. be. To be honest, um, to talk real quick, and we got to wrap this up. This went way longer than we intended. Um, I I just want to say. The 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 show ends up being rather anticlimactic, like it it's. There's no, you know, they get into this war. Um, Silvio, and then they just end it. They run, they run yeah. over his head, and then boom, it's it. That's it. Right, and and that which is a great scene. It's like the Phil Leotaro's death scene. <laughs> Say bye is bye, like, Grandpa. Say bye bye. 
it's just so it's so macabre. It's so macabre and hilarious all at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, but it's very anticlimactic in, in, yes. the, in his in his death. And then all of a sudden it's the end. And that's and that's it. And then we wrap back around to the members jacket where it is believed that the person who commits this hit on Tony is the relation of the guy who unalived himself at the beginning when, when he could not leave the, the life. And this was retribution. Uh, Meadow, who we haven't mentioned once, Meadow ends up getting married to one of Tony's uh, uh What's his face? Uh, Engaged. Patsy. Patsy's uh, kid, right? Yeah, Isn't it Patsy? Like an investment banker or a doctor. Yeah. yeah he's like a... Finn, Finn did not work out. Finn, Finn didn't work out. AJ, despite all his, you know, he has this moment of clarity after the yeah. converter sets the car on fire. And he's like, well, it's using up too much gas. And then he gets a BMW. And it's just like... He's just a walking contradiction. And what ends up happening, he gets a job. He gets the easy street job hooked up yeah. by his dad, all, right. you know, which is what he was always destined for and probably right. the only thing he's ever capable of. And that's literally, and that's literally, he. I mean, AJ is a very low functioning human being. He, he yeah. is. He's capable. He is capable of applying himself. And, you know, the irony is. And I always identified with him about that. Like he's really like, when watching that show. Like, you know, when it first ended and I was watching it on the Netflix uh, DVDs by mail and I was like working in a pizza place, living at my mom's place. Right. He worked at the pizza place, too. Yeah. And I'm like watching it. I'm like, oh, my God. Like seeing myself in him. And yeah, but here's the thing about AJ at all. You know, his his life starts to turn around when he meets Blanca. But the other thing that we didn't mention is he's actually working his ass off in the construction. He's doing it. He is. He 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 turns he turns it around, and he's like legitimately just b- like b- busting his ass, working working hard, making an honest buck, and then he meets the girl. And I mean, he's firing AJ fires on all cylinders, so it's like he is capable. But ultimately, yes, AJ finds himself in some cushy job, and you know, like as a d bag, you know, just a just a, a d bag of a guy. Yeah, and then we have. Uh... Everybody else dies. Um, Polly. Yeah, Tony, Tony goes and like, you know, screws one of Chris's mistresses out in Vegas. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. And they do peyote. And, you know, the, you know, the, what, we'll, we'll, let's end it here where, you know, the, the final shot with Polly, I think, is a really, if Tony did not die, and it really is just like the end of, you know, just like we're, we're closing the chapter of on, on, Tony Soprano. Um, Polly is the one who ultimately is the ultimate survivor. He survived Colombo gangs in the 70s. He used to work with, with Tony's dad. And now here he is. He almost got clipped. He almost got clipped at the beginning of season six, I think it was. What about Patsy Parisi? Patsy Parisi was on his way out in season three. That's true. You remember he's showing up drunk. Yeah, he wants to kill Tony. His twin brother. And here he is seasons later, and he's still living, man. Yeah, but you want to know something? He uh, it doesn't compare to Paulie. Paulie is the survivor, yeah. and ultimately, it's Paulie's given a promotion, and we 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 leave him in front of the pork store, uh, trying to get his tan on, and it's just the perfect way. Yeah, uh, it's the perfect way to to leave Paulie. It's not the last time we see Tony. It's the last time we see Paulie, and um, and there's that cat. That cat is following him around yeah. and whatnot, and. 
Um, a lot of theories about that being. Uh, yes, you know, I've heard. I don't care, but yeah, maybe. I think it's, I don't. I don't. I don't really buy into that. And and I mean that's really it. Is there is there a chance that would you want to see? Um, would you want to flash forward twenty years and AJ has taken over for his father, and we're seeing uh, a peek into AJ's life as a Tony Soprano like mob boss? I'd check it out. I'd watch it. It would be. Would it be interesting if if all of a sudden we jump over a decade and some change, and AJ goes from being you know the d bag with the bmw picking up scripts at a production house to literally being his father like the the mob boss father and seeing I'd that transformation I'd, 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 rather rather see, I'd rather see a prequel series of uh you just said how you don't want you know no, to have janice in seattle as pravati and <laughs> yes. hal, and hal turning into harpo and her whole fucking vibe out in Seattle on the West Coast, I oh, like like a comedy. I would absolutely watch that. But um, I'm actually I actually just read here. Um, apparently, they found out definitively what happens at the end of the series. Okay, and is that uh, Noah Tannenbaum actually finally punched his fucking lights out? And that's why it went black is because Noah Tannenbaum punched his lights out, just like he threatened to do in season three. Who's Noah Tannenbaum again? I'm confused. You know, Jamal Ginsburg, the Hasidic homeboy. Okay. And what? He. Noah Are Tannenbaum? Ah, oh, come on. Yeah, man. Is this Don't make a... me explain my joke. Okay. It was a joke. It was a joke. Yeah. Right. It was. I did not get the joke. All right. Noah Tannenbaum was the. Uh, is he mixed, a writer? Mixed, no, he was the mixed race boyfriend of. Oh, fuck. Of, I hate that guy. Remember? And, you know, Tony says some horrendous shit. To yeah, him. he did. He said and some he, terrible and, things. To and him. Noah goes, he's lucky I didn't punch his lights out. Oh, right. Yes, he did. And he, like, he, no he one fucking Tannenbaum was ever going to fucking punch Tony's lights out. And so there's a joke, there's a meme out there on the internet saying that that's why we saw it cut to black. Because Noah punched his lights out. I want to thank, I, I really want to thank um, uh, Jeremy Spicy for coming back and, and finishing The Sopranos. I will probably stitch all of these episodes together into one long mega episode that you could, anybody can watch at their leisure. Uh, and and I will be back. We'll be back with more. We got more shows coming up, and hopefully, I can twist Jeremy's arm and get him to do Family Matters and finish Family Matters with me because I yeah. haven't watched it since we watched the show. I'm dying wanna, to finish. I want to. I want to proposition something to you in front of your audience. Okay. Now, if you do, in fact, do the 31 days of Halloween, is that what you call it? I do. I've been doing 31 days of Halloween every year for 10 years. And in the last three of those years or two of those years, I, instead of doing reviews on Facebook posts, I decided to just do them on my YouTube channel. So I do okay. a review so, for every movie that I watch. What I'm listening you for is, listen, I know that out of frame right now, you have a ton of really excellent VHS movies. This now, is true. 
if you're interested in. I have, you know, the, you know, I, I hate calling it retro or vintage, but the reality is that it's 2023 and a VCR and a CRT TV with the, you know, four by three aspect ratio is, you know, it's retro at this point, but I have the full setup. All right, fuck it. Let's do it. You want to, you know, if, if on any of those 31 days, you want to come over here and view on VHS, one of these films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'll take you up on that. I'll take you up on that because I'll take you up on that because I just listen. I just watched the the Land Before Time on my uh, little all in one uh, VCR Panasonic little mono thirteen inch. You know, I haven't watched a VHS in. I can't even tell you the last time I saw something on VHS. So I'll do. I'll do it. I'll do yeah. it. I'll pick. I'll pick a movie or two. Awesome. And um and and I'll for I will uh, uh add that to my uh, review. In fact, cool. we can we'll finish up. We'll finish up the session. They're they're short. They're only like ten minute reviews. It's like it's not yeah. like a full show. Um. Well, there's right. so much more to unpack in the Sopranos versus you know a fucking. This is true. This is true. Although sometimes I get really carried away. You have to see if you haven't seen it yet. Watch See No Evil. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, oh wait, my do you have God. a copy of uh, Killer Killer Clowns from... I do. You know, that's very sought after. I don't know if you know. Which one? The Blu-ray or the... Oh, no, the VHS. DVD? Oh, I don't have it on VHS. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, like a, that's a lot of people's grail, apparently. I know. I do world. know. I do know that. And I do have some rare boxes back there. I wish I still had my The Max VHS tape. I, that's how I watched the Max was on your your your. I had film. that since like 1999, and uh, I think it's. What about outside? What about outside out? We got to watch. I that. have that on DVD. I don't have the VHS anymore. I have Max Chin's DVD copy because I showed are him. We gonna, hold on a second. Are we going to? Are we going to? We also. I thought we were going to revisit the Forbidden Zone because it's been over a oh, decade. Oh, any day, anytime, any place. Absolutely. We'll go to your place. We'll watch yeah. it at your place. All right. All right. I really got to end this. I want to thank Jeremy so much. Peace, hair grease. We will, we will see you next time again. Make sure you subscribe, leave a, leave a skull for me down in the comments. I want all your skulls, everybody. Uh, Jeremy, hold on one second.